Race must not divide us. G'day, I'm Martin Isles, and this is the truth of it. I want to deal with race divisions and conflicts more generally, which I'm going to come to in a minute. But first, I'm actually thinking about it in the context of a current event, which is this Indigenous voice to Parliament. The government is proposing to change the Constitution via a referendum to create this new body. And the Constitution is that document which currently establishes things like the Senate, the House of Representatives, the Governor-General, the High Court, the Cabinet, uh, elections, the public service, all of the systems and institutions by which we are governed. It's been largely unchanged since 1901. They want to add something new in terms of these institutions. Why? Well, to adopt some of their words, to create a body made up of Indigenous representatives in order to provide input into laws and policies that affect Indigenous people. I want to make an observation straight off the bat as soon as I hear that. I want to make the point that none of that is lacking in the system as it already exists. There is a minister, for example, for Indigenous Australians in the government, in the parliament, in the cabinet, in fact. So when those highest level cabinet meetings are are, are convened around which these policy decisions of government are made, you have the Minister for Indigenous Australians right there, represented in those high-level decision-making processes. There is therefore also a Department of Indigenous Affairs, an office block full of staff and billions and billions and billions of dollars to spend on the advancement of Indigenous issues. Uh, When laws are created also, uh, Parliament is constructed in such a way that all stakeholders get input into the creation of laws. That is why you hear so much about inquiries and committees and so on. Input is invited as part of the process. It all gets on the record and policies are crafted accordingly. There's also countless Indigenous bodies giving input into the laws that are affecting Australians through those mechanisms and more. In fact, a number of these bodies are actually funded by the Department of Indigenous Affairs, which we mentioned just a moment ago. And also, meanwhile, there are uh, no less than 11 politicians elected to the Parliament with an Indigenous heritage. That's about 5% of the total, which is an over-representation. Now, I am not speaking against any of those things, okay? But I am making this point. We already have a very comprehensive system of representing Indigenous concerns into our Parliament. Why amend the Constitution and take such a radical step to do something that is already happening? If there are unresolved problems, then perhaps these systems need fixing, not adding to. Or perhaps the problems are problems that the government is ill-equipped to resolve. Adding yet more of this stuff uh, in a most radical way actually sounds like they've run out of ideas. That's my first general objection. Here's my second general objection. It actually goes to the name, Indigenous Voice. I want to ask a question just for a second. What is an Indigenous Voice? What is the Indigenous Voice exactly? Because I can take a case study of two women, both Senators, both Indigenous, currently in the Australian Parliament. One is Jacinta Price. She speaks passionately against wokeness. She is a Conservative. She opposes the voice. She lives in the Northern Territory. The other is Lydia Thorpe. Uh, She tried to swear her oath of allegiance by calling the Queen a coloniser and doing a black power salute. She's hard left, she lives in Victoria, she's in favour of the voice. Someone tell me, what then is the Indigenous voice? Is it not as absurd as pretending that there's a white voice? Is it uh, not that people are actually infinitely diverse in far more ways than these woke categories of skin colour and indigeneity and various other things? Is that not simplistic? Do those categories not actually fail? This infinite diversity is precisely the reason why we have a parliament that is deliberately set up from the beginning to govern in the interests of all Australians. That's my second general objection. Now to the specifics. 
There are actually specific words which the Prime Minister has suggested might be added to the Constitution if a referendum were successful. Um, and they're surprisingly brief. One, there shall be a body called the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Voice. Two, the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Voice may make representations to Parliament and the Executive Government on matters relating to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. Three, the Parliament shall, subject to this Constitution, have power to make laws with respect to the composition, functions, powers and procedures of the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Voice. That's it. What would be the practical effect of that going into the Constitution? The detail is so lacking that the truth is nobody knows. And if they tell you that they don't know, they're lying. Um, this term, for example, executive government, uh, they're to make representations to the executive government. It has no obvious meaning. In fact, it could entrench a system whereby the voice is directly influencing the public service without parliamentary scrutiny. Second, how are the members appointed? Uh, by whom are they appointed? Who has that authority? Third, how does someone qualify to become a member and who comes up with the qualifications and how are they changed? Fourth, what is the force of this body's recommendations? Can the government, for example, act in a way that completely contradicts them? Fifth, how are the recommendations formulated? Is it a voting body? Is there some kind of unanimous vote or majority vote? Um, what's the various strength of those two votes? Or is it a non-voting body at all? Is it something completely different? Will there even be votes? Six, what is, the, uh, policy affecting, what is a policy affecting Indigenous Australians on which they're supposed to have make representations? Surely there's a strong argument from a left perspective that all policies affect Indigenous Australians because this is their nation. Seventh, can, a vo can this voice be dissolved? Can it be closed down? The answer actually seems to be relatively clear on that one, which is no, it can't be. The extent to which the government is saying, oh, just trust us and trust the system that will create this thing, it's actually astounding. Nobody has any clue how this will play out. But I reckon I can take a guess just on one aspect of it. Lots of things I couldn't guess, but one aspect of it I could guess. Whatever it ultimately looks like, it actually won't be an indigenous voice because there's no such thing. It will be a political voice. You take a body, for example, like the Human Rights Commission, one of these many government organisms that are set up, oh, for this, uh, for this noble cause of human rights. No, no a particular political interpretation of human rights in order to advance a particular side of politics. That's the truth. And appointees to this voice will come from the Canberra set, and there is such a thing, uh, or, or they will have connections into it, and they'll be chosen for their political perspectives. And it will become a woke voice to Parliament. It will become a critical race theory voice to Parliament, those with the approved view of Indigenous issues. Hint, it's probably not going to be the Jacinta Prices of the world. We've all seen how the politics of race division is gnawing away at the very social fabric of countries like South Africa and the United States. And if you have Kiwi friends, ask them too, because it's getting worse there. The activists want to bring that same strife, that same division, that same tension, that same resentment, that same social cancer, that same divide and conquer mechanism here to Australia. That's ultimately what wokeness is. It's a force to tear down. It's a force to destroy. And division is one of the most powerful ways to do it. And the power of this thing, the power of this political voice will be in this. By styling it as an indigenous voice, no government is going to stand against it for fear of being called racist. And they won't be able to get rid of it, as we've just established. It's a familiar play from a political movement that consistently uses minorities as its political battering ram, not to help them, but to gain power. Before I finish the subject, I wanna make a general point about race divisions and this fact that race shouldn't divide us. 
The truth is this whole idea of this voice comes out of a particular set of presuppositions. And it is this view that white people and people of color are so divided that an institution of general function like a democratic government cannot act in the best interests of both. The critical race theorists preach to us about this conflict, which we cannot escape, which is part of our very nature. They say that we cannot presume to speak for each other. We cannot presume to act in each other's best interests. You've heard it all before, right? You hear this in the, the notion that men can't speak on things that affect women. Obviously, abortion being the key one. A man can't have an opinion on abortion because he's not a woman uh, and it's all about her body. Or that white people can't speak about black issues and so on and so on. And it's embedded in this indigenous voice notion. The reality is that anyone can tell the truth. Anyone can help anyone because we're all people first uh, and you don't need a particular skin color to tell the truth. But they say no. A white politician cannot represent colored constituents. A person of color will not be fairly treated in a white majority institution like a university or a court or a parliament or the police. That's why you need affirmative action stuff. A, a mixed race society will never be an equal society. A white person will never understand what is necessary for the well-being of a person of color. Why do they say this? Well, actually it's because it comes down to something very postmodern. My truth is not the same as the truth of a colored person. We do not have access to the truth, only our truths. That's postmodern thinking. It's left us without an author of truth who is outside of us, in whose truth we live. Objective truth, the truth, we don't have that. It's only left us with ourselves and our truths. And my truth as a white person, they say, is white supremacy. Uh, I'm not joking. I've recently read, for example, Robin D'Angelo's White Supremacy. That's the point, that every white person is a white supremacist, and that is the center of their whole being, and they cannot escape it. That's their truth. And of course, if that's my truth, then it is profoundly oppressive to the truth of a person of color. Uh, they are oppressed by my truth, and it's an inescapable conflict, and it's a profound barrier to our shared humanity that cannot be broken. I'm not exaggerating. This is really what they say. Under this worldview, racism is a human condition. It's not about individual acts of racial prejudice. It's about the whole racist being that, 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 that comes from within us, that it is baked into us and we're imprisoned to it and we're divided by it. But none of this can be true. It can't be in terms of the truth. These are all lies. Why? You know, it comes down to something very simple and something which Christianity uh, reveals to us. Because one God made one man from whom are all races. Okay, what does that mean? First of all, it means that there is one ultimate race, humans. Second, it means that there is one ultimate truth, God, the author. Third, it means that there is one ultimate good for all, which we can all access, which we should all pursue, which we can all proclaim, no matter our skin color, our identity or anything else. And it is in fact to seek God and to obey God. There are no ultimate barriers. There's no ultimate conflict. There's no difference of truth. Notice how all of these things come out in Acts chapter 17, 25 to 28. The Apostle Paul writes, God himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Oh, one God, one truth. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth. Oh, one human race, one humanity. Uh, he determined and allotted the allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek God, one ultimate good for all, okay? There can be a government for all seeking the good of all because there's one ultimate good that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us for in him we live and move and have our being. Oh, same truth. 
Isn't that great? What a great few verses. Go read it for yourself, Acts 17, 25 to 28. And I conclude, therefore, by saying, beware of these ideas. Beware of these presuppositions. They are sinister ideas. And remember, especially, the government might get this wrong, and it might be uh, the beginning of sorrows, but certainly remember that those of us who are Christians, we are colorblind in Christ because we are all one in Christ Jesus. And that is the direct context of that particular statement in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. I am Martin Niles, and that was the truth of it.